Hey everyone, we're back with another week of Find Your Film. This is for the week ending Friday, July 29th. This is Find Your Film, episode 126. First and foremost, our director spotlight this week is Jay Lee Thompson, a director I really admire because he's had a really long career. From the 1950s through the late 80s, I thought I was going to bring in a couple of movies in here. But Bruce Porky, can you tell our listeners why you're stealing my thunder this week, you overworking cinephile? What did, what did you do to me? What, huh? Huh? Uh, now you make me want to sing that horrible, horrible song. Thunder. <laughs> thunder. No, no, I won't do that to anybody. Uh, I, I don't know. I just got... Uh, I, I think what did it to me was I, I looked at the IMDb and I saw lots of movies that he did that I had seen and lots of movies that I recognized. And I was like, he's done just a kind of a crazy array of movies. So I just started watching another movie because I didn't have my uh, box movie. And then I watched another movie and I'll tell you why when we get to that. Okay. So there's a bunch of J. Lee Thompson. When you mentioned Bruce or Eric, did you, have you ever heard of the name J. Lee Thompson before I picked him as a director spotlight? Eric, have you? I, heard? I have not, but then going through his, uh, IMDb, the, uh, well, one of the movies we're covering 10 to midnight was a three pack with, uh, what do you, Kinjite Forbidden Subjects, I believe. Kinjite, Kinjite or Kinjite? Kinjite, yeah, uh, Kinjite uh, yeah. I guess. For, yeah. I think there was a Death Wish on there too. I want to say it was the first, first Death Wish, but okay. uh, he didn't do the first Death Wish as far as I can tell, but like he did those. He did a couple of the Planet of the Apes movies. The, yeah. Uh, uh, Cape Fear, the original Cape, Cape Fear? Fear. Yeah, Cape Fear. One of the original. I don't know how many Cape Fears they have. Yeah, so do, yeah. It, it was a name I didn't know, but then looking through his filmography, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I've seen a lot of these. Great. The two films we were spotlighting right at the forefront for the J. Lee Thompson films until later in the episode, Bruce is going to get to the J. Lee Thompson horror thriller film called Happy Birthday to Me. I believe that's a cult film, or maybe that's just a horrible film altogether. Just maybe it's popular because of the name. Bruce will answer that question towards the end of the episode, and then he has a surprise J. Lee Thompson pick at the end of the podcast. But the two J. Lee Thompson films we're covering right on the top is 10 to Midnight, like Eric was saying, Charles Bronson. He had a Charles Bronson era. I believe the original director of Death Wish was Michael Winner, but I don't know, maybe... J. Lee Thompson directed a couple of other Death Wishes, but the bottom line is he's he directed nine Charles Bronson films, so we're assuming, um, you know, maybe odds are maybe one of them is a Death Wish, but bottom line, we're going to cover up a bit of the Charles Bronson era in this episode with 10 to Midnight, and the second one is a film that barely anyone knows. It's called Return from the Ashes, and it's a movie I am absolutely in love with. I'm going to have actually Eric and Bruce mainly talk about this film because right right from the top, Return from the Ashes, to me is I fantasize throughout the entire movie what would happen if Brian De Palma directed this movie because this feels like a completely Brian De Palma-esque film. We'll see if Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky agree with the assessment if Return from the Ashes is actually an ashen piece of you-know-what or if it's worth watching. It's worth watching for me. I actually purchased the Kino Lorber Blu-ray recently and it's actually downstairs in my... My late father's office. That's not my office. It's my late father's office, but where I work. But returning from the ashes, I'm really excited to see what they have in store, their reactions to the film. Actually, Eric, it may, may have actually tipped his hand for the video section. He, he posted a, a poster of return from the ashes, a black and white poster from, I'm assuming an old newspaper ad. So, okay. I, I can't wait to hear. Maybe Eric is partial to this movie in a good way. Our three featured films are Resurrection. Do you ever think of babies, listeners? Do you ever think of, yeah, women having babies? Yeah. Do you ever think of men having babies, Bruce? Do you think of having, when, when you look at Greg Shrizavasi's uh, big paunchy stomach, 
Do you think that I have a baby in my stomach, Bruce, or do you think I'm just uh, overweight and bloated with carbonated soda and and hot dogs in my stomach? When I have one of those giant burritos, I think of having a baby. Yeah, (laughs) you think you're having a baby? If if you're if you're having a baby, do you do you are you gonna actually carry the child with you for the rest of your life, or are you gonna have Rebecca Hall try to try to wheedle it out of you? What do you think? Will you be scared if you have someone trying to take the baby away from your stomach, Bruce? I'm very possessive. I, I like to keep my babies close. How about you, Eric? Do you want to keep the babies close? Do you understand what this resurrection is about when we get to it? Did you understand the movie? The short answer, no. No. That is not <laughs> me. Uh, it, is a, uh, it is a somewhat of a, it seems like somewhat of a remake of Junior with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> okay, that's so funny. I was asking you not because I am questioning your intelligence, Eric. I wanted you to say no because I think that no is the actual answer for all three of us eric might be speaking for me and bruce and putting words in our mouth deliberately because no might be the answer regarding if we understood what resurrection headlined by rebecca hall and co-starring tim roth is all about secondly we're doing a documentary mixed media documentary sort of a um, talking heads animated film called my old school i'm actually going to leave it to bruce and eric regarding how much we can talk about my old school all i know it's it's very interesting. Bruce, this is a little bit of a spoiler. If it's hitting theaters and if you're a documentary fan, Baseline, is it worth maybe a trip to your matinee theater to actually watch it because of the the aforementioned animation and subject matter, which we will cover on this episode? Uh, if you're a fan of documentaries, it might be uh, worth going there for. I don't think it's especially cinematic per se, so I don't think it necessarily has to have that, but it's it's a, well, we'll talk about it. I think it's it's a good movie. It is a good movie, but gas prices are something else. And if you're going to spend your merch, I don't know. I, I'm glad we got a screening link to my old school in Magnolia. I think you're going to spend your five or seven bucks or 10 bucks or 15 bucks. I think you should actually, you need a mug, which I can't look. You see the mug? You see the mug right here? I have a find your film mug, which is available on what? What's our website? Eric Holmes for our, our merch. Where, where can people go to check it out? It is findyourfilmpodcast.com. I think. Findyourfilmpodcast.com. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I think is not part of the URL. It's just findyourfilmpodcast.com. I think is something that Eric was meditating on. And if you really like, if you really think Bruce is a pinhead, I don't think Bruce is a pinhead. Is there a special pinhead shirt for you, Bruce, there? What what, uh, what can people get? Shower curtains, horse-drawn carriages. What other uh, merch- merchandise can we get from the Find Your Film Podcast? What else? We keep promising a shower curtain, but if you can find it, let us know, because I don't think we put it up there. Uh, you know, I don't know. We, we've talked about all kinds of things. Maybe bandanas, I, uh, sails for your sailboat. I mean, I don't know. All kinds of things. All kinds of things. I'm really excited about this mug, though, because part of the mug has the black and white Find Your Film logo actually uh, created by Juan Diego Escobar Azate, the director and writer behind uh, Lose the Flower of Evil. And then if you actually turn around the mug, it's, it's like a 360 mug, the green mug. You just uh, The other side has the color version of our logo, of our Find Your Film logo. Our logo is fantastic. Credit goes to Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky to reaching out to Juan Diego Escobar Alzate for, and he immediately got, oh, and, and then Eric is having his apple juice on the glassware. Wow. You oh, really, just water today. Oh, it's just water. It's just yeah. water. Or is that not, or is it vodka? It could, it looks like no, water. Definitely not vodka. You're not a vodka person. You're not a vodka. No, not even close. No. You're not a vodka person. I'm so, just not a hard alcohol just in general. No, I'm not a hard alcohol either. That's it's only Bruce. Bruce is the only one, right? Bruce, you're the only hard alky, alky person in our, our trio. Yep. 
Yep, shots all day long. <laughs> shots all. Don't you humor me, Bruce Berkey. That's not okay that you're doing that. Speaking of not okay, it's not okay that me and Eric Holmes and, and left Bruce in, in the middle of a ditch because he is the only one covering the third featured film this week. And that is not okay. It is. It stars, I believe, I was going to say Leah Thompson. Who's, what's Leah Thompson's daughter? I'm, I'm brain farting here, Bruce. That it's a, but it's directed by Quinn Shepard, who I loved her first film. It's called Blame. And I, Zoe Deutsch. Right off the top of my head, yes. Bruce. Look at that. Zoe Deutsch. And Bruce has a lot of things to say about not okay. Well, it's not okay. Me and Eric weren't doing our job for this movie. It's going to be streaming on Hulu on Friday, but uh, we're going to get to that as well. So there's going to be a lot of stuff to cover. Let's start off first. You guys want to say anything about your lives, about wh- how things are going, Bruce, Eric, anything? <laughs> how do you do while I stop the train off the, the runaway John Voight train? As my, um, as, uh, can, I, can I stop blubbering right now? Talking? Anything you want to say? Anything sublime, Eric Roos? Um. Uh. Yeah. Well, I guess. Do we want to talk about the uh, the crowdfunding? Of the crowd crowdfunding? Yeah. Like, uh, don't, the hell, don't pick up, or we uh, want to oh, wait till wait till later when uh, we mention slap face. Well, we can we can wait later, but let you know what? Let's just let's just do it now. You know, here's the thing. I pride myself in not actually doing my job a lot of times. Eric Holmes wanted me to ask the director and writer Jeremiah Kip. <laughs> he is the filmmaker behind this. New film called actually it's not a new film it's a movie called Slap Face it's currently on Shutter. Actually, Bruce, did you even watch? You didn't watch this. You you looked at the trailer and you're saying oh, this probably not for me. Yeah, it, it just didn't grab me enough to pull me in, but I, I don't have anything against it. it didn't look yeah. terrible. Yeah, no, no, I, I really love Slap Face. Stars August, I think Maturo. He he plays a twelve year old boy and he sees a he has an older brother played by Mike Manning and they're brothers and they play a game of slap face. The beginning, Eric, it starts with them slapping each other and it's pretty it's pretty tough to watch. And ultimately, amidst this whole brother abuse dynamic, comes a monster within the within the neighborhood. They live in a sort of a little home out in the woods. There might be a, a monster, a creature who lives right right in the next nearby in, in an abandoned building. So that is the premise of slap face. You're wondering, is the monster real? Is it the figment of the imagination of the 12-year-old boy? Really good performances. Mike Manning plays the older brother. The aforementioned Jeremiah Kip is a writer director. Now, going back to Jeremiah Kip, the one thing I didn't do my job on, which Eric Holmes, I mean, if he, would, he, if he did the interview, he would actually ask this question right off the top because he, out of us three, he is very passionate about crowdfunding campaigns, indie filmmaking, and helping filmmakers as much as you can with the harder dollars you have in your respective wallets or purse. Now, Jeremiah Kip, it says on his Instagram, he is a New York-based filmmaker. He has an indie, an Indiegogo project called Don't Pick Up. I have a feeling, Bruce, that the reason why Eric Holmes is really in, interested in Don't Pick Up is because it it sounds sort of like his favorite movie last year. You think? Yeah. What was that, yeah. What was that movie? What was that movie that you thought was a masterpiece? Uh, I uh, thought it's, it's, was a masterpiece. It's not. It's not. Not okay for me to talk about. Don't look up. It's <laughs> not, not okay. Okay. So no comment from Eric Holmes. Here's Don't Pick Up as a fundraiser. Take quote taking the pre COVID dream to make Don't Pick Up a film and making it a reality in a post COVID world. This is why this Indiegogo campaign is pretty cool. Currently, there are 56 backers. As of this recording, there are about 22 days left. By the time you listen to this, 21 days left. 74% of their flex goal of 7,000 is there. We will put a link to Don't Pick Up. And again, Jeremiah Kip, the director writer of Slapface, is behind this Indiegogo campaign. So if he's behind it, if he's supporting it, you know, uh, personally, I've seen Slapface. So I really enjoyed that film, that movie. Actually, it's really cool. We can just uh, cut. We'll, we'll just mention Slapface right now. This week, it's currently, you can watch it on Shutter. 
if you have Shutter, which Eric and me and Bruce has, and you know, I have no idea how Bruce watches about twenty movies a week because he is. It seems he lives in the the world called Shutter on a daily basis. You know, I don't know how many hours a week do you, do you put. Do you even just go on Shutter and just like look at all, all the all the really interesting films out there, Bruce? Is that your number one streaming thing of choice? Uh, some weeks it is. Yeah, I I don't know if I watched anything this week off Shutter. I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I think I failed. Yeah. I failed I was, you, Shutter. I, I'm sorry. I was, I was a Shutter guy. I was a Shutter guy this week. I saw Hellbender and I saw the aforementioned, aforementioned Slapface. Slapface is currently streaming on Shutter. But this week, the reason why I was able to interview Mike Manning, August uh, Maturo, and also Jeremiah Kip is because the, the movie comes out this week on DVD, VOD, and digital. So if you don't have Shutter, I'm going to leave links below on our show notes where you can actually purchase it on Amazon. And most importantly, I'll leave a show. I'll have a link regarding uh, the crowdfunding campaign that Jeremiah Kip is helping helping with Indiegogo. Yeah, that's going to be a big part of our findyourfilms.com. Eric Holmes, you are tasked now with going. You're going to be like what? I don't know. You're going to be a big inspector. You're going to be going around the world looking for Indiegogo campaigns for us to talk about on the podcast. Is that a job that you can handle on a on a weekly basis. Can you do that with the Indiegogo? Yes, it yeah. is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Ha- and if you have a crowd, if you listening have a crowdfunding campaign, either out now or coming up, let me know and we'll talk about it. Maybe, well, like we, we had a uh, Derek and Tony come on and talk about the headliner, which was just fun. It didn't quite get to a hundred percent, but it got close enough that uh, they're still making the movie as far as I can tell. So no, we didn't, we didn't do that. You did it, Eric, because unlike me and Bruce, you're actually no, thoughtful. No, we, we have them on. You th- okay, but you're th- okay. We have a bond, but me and Bruce, we're not. We're not. Uh, Bruce, are you, are you uh, here to help other filmmakers? What do you think? Are you are you on Eric's side or are you on Greg's dark side? What do you think with the Indie Go Go crowd? Oh, you know, I am the gray man. I am right in between <laughs> the light and the dark. The gray man. <laughs> okay, the gray oh, man. we also should be hearing about. Oh, forgot mm. the name of it. The Virginia Mad or Virginia, Virginia Madsen. Oh, Virginia, Virginia Newcomb. Okay. Newcomb. Which you actually donated some money to, right? Yeah. The, okay. Yeah. Keep us, keep us up to date. All of this stuff will be housed on findyourfilms.com. And this is a site where I, I've been working on, Bruce and Eric have been working on without extra content. Bruce, what did you and Eric and William Linus from Movie Bears Podcast and Andrew Martin from Andrew Watches Movies, what did you guys do over the weekend? You hung out together with each other for about an hour, hour and a half. What did you guys do? Yeah. Uh, before work, for me at least, on Sunday, I we all got together and had about an hour Zoom uh, spoiler discussion of the new movie Nope. And we had a really good time doing it. And people seem to dig it that have listened to it so far. So if you haven't listened to it, go check it out. And uh, especially, well, go check it out if you've seen uh, Nope. And then if you haven't seen Nope, Eric says it's still okay. <laughs> and and uh, uh, it, it, if you look at it on the YouTube thing, be wary yeah. of the comments because it's a spoiler discussion. So it stands a reason there are spoilers in the comments as well. Right, right. And Eric, if someone is actually, in, in all seriousness, if someone doesn't want to buy the Find Your Film mug, but they actually have 20 bucks on their pocket, should they spend their 20 bucks and go watch Nope this weekend? Is it worth the, is it worth the price of admission? I think I think so. Um, in fact, they just had a movie bears episode yesterday, yeah. and they were talking about it. And they got kind of like William obviously really loved it, and there was kind of kind of teetering reaction uh, with uh, Jim and Brad. So that might even be a good one to listen to too, to see if it's uh, if it's in your wheelhouse. I think I think a lot of people like it, but a lot of people or some people seem kind of perplexed by it. Maybe it didn't all come together, but okay. you know, it's also one of those movies that's uh, got a lot going on. So maybe spend uh, ten dollars at the cheaper theater and then go back in and spend another ten dollars to watch it again 
Good point, Bruce. Even if you're perplexed and you don't understand some of the layers behind Nope, is it still worth it as just a requisite, just entertainment popcorn film? Can you just take it on that surface sheen level? I think you can, and I think you should, because it is not another sequel in a giant universe. So for that reason alone, get your entertainment value out of something that's an original property instead. Is this a part where we talk about there's going to be two more sequels to The Gray Man and that you're really very excited, Bruce Perky? Are you excited? There's going to be the off-white man and there's going to be the uh, plaid man, I think. Is that a real thing? <laughs> that, 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 no, yeah, yeah. Eric, you sound shocked. It's true. There are going to be two more sequels. I'm not kidding. The, oh. there are, are you, why, why are you so excited, Eric? Well, hello? I, I can't wait. Netflix and uh, Netflix uh, PR people. He, Eric is very joyous, and please keep on giving us links. Thanks so much. Ten to, to, to midnight. You know, there's a uh, there's this book called. It's not though. so convincing. You're like, you're, what, what's the book called, Eric? What's the book oh, called? Orphan Surfacing by Nathan Day. You can find this on uh, you find this on Amazon, and maybe spend your money on that instead of uh, Gray Man Two and Three. Jesus. When Orphan Surfacing gets made as a Netflix movie, we will talk about the Gray Man. <laughs> Do you think Nathan Day will al- will al- allow us to interview him if his book is turned into a Netflix no. film? Well, no, we're not. We're no. Not, no. Oh, Nathan Day, Cinematics Facebook group member. He's <laughs> out. He's like, no, he, too no? good for I, you guys. I need a one of these days. I need to uh, throw a good review off the rails uh, and talk about orphan surfacing because yes. uh, I always do it with bad movies and it makes it seem like the book's bad and is not like at all. In all fairness, I'm going to say this. Um, Bruce is still incredulous. He's very kind. He doesn't mention this. I think he's still surprised at how much I really deeply love Sweet Girl, which is on Netflix. Jason Momoa starring in it. I I love the movie. I love the twist. Bruce, have you you changed? Turn the page on Sweet Girl? Yeah? No? It's almost hot garbage. (laughs) It's almost hot garbage. Speaking of hot garbage, we're here for director J. Lee Thompson. Ten to Midnight, Charles <laughs> what, Bronson. What a segue. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Ten to Midnight. Ten to Midnight. This was a Charles Bronson era. Now, here's the thing. Charles Bronson was, is an actor who is highly respected, okay? A lot of his movies are considered exploitation, revenge, action films. Eric Holmes, I'm I'm assuming you are a Charles Bronson fan from that era. Like these Ten to Midnight's, this Kinja Tape, uh, what, Foreign or Forbidden Subjects. You like Mr. Majestic. You like the, the mechanic. You like these movies. Is this up your alley or am I wrong in this assessment? Uh, the, I got a little into Charles Bronson like years ago and then kind of fell off a little bit. It was good to revisit because I'd seen Ten to Midnight like a long time ago. And so it was good to revisit it. Well, let's see if it's really good to revisit. Now, 10 to Midnight, it stars Charles Bronson, okay? It was released in 1983, directed by J. Lee Thompson. The reason why we're starting off right now, let's start off with the front, front, uh, the la- latter part of J. Lee Thompson's career. 10 to Midnight, it stars Charles Bronson as an LAPD detective, and he's on the trail of a serial killer who is murdering young co-eds, co-eds within the LA, downtown LA district. He murders them in a very, well, he stabs them. He likes to stay. His knife is, as they say, is considered an extension, basically his penis. He, penis, he stabs him and he, he doesn't just stab him. He chases them. How, how does he chase him, Bruce? Do you remember? Uh, fast. He chases them very fast. He well, chases uh, them without like any Great clothing. Rock is playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, while Great Rock, and he, he's in the nude. A lot of times he's, he's nude. I don't know. Eric, what do you think? Well, this nude- is before DNA, so he thought he could keep all that blood evidence off his clothes. Yeah. It is very weird. The partner of this LAPD detective played by Charles Bronson is played by Andrew Stevens. We know Andrew Stevens from that Brian De Palma film, The Fury. Andrew Stevens would star in a lot of really interesting movies from the 70s and 80s. He was a leading man. He actually starred in a movie with Shannon Tweed in the late 90s. So, But 
ultimately he became a big time producer and successful producer. But here within Tent of Midnight, it's LA set story. And he plays the partner of Charles Bronson. The daughter of Charles Bronson in this movie, Charles Bronson's character, is played by this actress named Lisa Eilbacher. You might know her from her work in Beverly Hills Cop. She plays, I guess, a nurse student who might be in the crosshairs of this serial killer. Let's start off with you, Eric Holmes. Your thoughts on 10 to Midnight. Did you see any kind of director flourish from J. Lee Thompson? Or did this film seem like a standard fly-by-night, fun enough Charles Bronson movie? Um, I, actually, both of these movies seem night and day different from each other. Um, I, I don't see any similar fingerprints, really, other than maybe they're both plot heavy. They both have some character stuff, but they're both like you're certainly following where the where the story's going. One thing I really appreciated about this was uh, we'll say that Charles Bronson's character uh, does stuff that normally in a movie like this, a cop would step outside the bounds. And normally in a movie like this, the movie would just be like, well, he's trying to get the bad guy. So that's what he's got to do. There's actually consequences for what he does in this, which typically doesn't happen in, in movies like this. Usually the cops like, uh, steps outside the bounds, does something egregious and the movie's totally on their side because, oh, they had to do it to get the, get the guy. But that's not. That's not what our justice system is supposed to be for, even though it often is. So I really appreciated that. The guy playing the, actually, a lot of the acting in this is kind of not great. <laughs> uh, not wait, so- wait a second. Gene Davis playing the killer, Warren Stacy, the guy, he has his apartment. When you're at his apartment, you see him and he has a picture of himself in his apartment in a black belt uniform. <laughs> I mean, that, isn't that awesome? <laughs> so there's a, so there's the, the killer that yeah. he's, he's a little too over the top for what yeah. I think this movie's going for. And the, uh, any of the women that get stabbed, um, yeah. those scenes are really tough to watch and not because they're not, <laughs> There's stuff to watch because they're just like kind of straight yeah, exploitation. Yeah. 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 You can just, they're nude. Can, well, at, on top of that, they're just like, ah, no, ah. And we're like, I see like 30 exits that you can take right now. Just turn and right, run. Okay. Like, that none of those scenes were really thrilling. They were mostly like, uh, they weren't set up very well. But Ke- Kelly you know, Preston, that, by the way, is one of the co eds. She's in this movie, Kelly Preston. Yeah. And Kelly Preston. Yeah. She's in this as well. So, yeah, just anytime, anytime the killer was going towards them, uh, it, it turned into, uh, it turned into like a Friday the 13th kind of, kind of thing where the kills get really cheesy, but everything else I really liked. I I like the story. I like the, the characters for the most part. This could have been like, I, I could see like, uh, this could have been like that close to being like seven. You know, they get a mm. get a little uh, darker, darker, less cheesy. You know, don't be so yeah, don't be so cheesy with the kills. And th- this would probably be right up there with seven, at least for me. But it it does it does have a thick layer of cheese on it. Yeah, I think intended <laughs> cheese, thick layer of cheese, and intended cheese. <laughs> the, the, yeah, the cheese is definitely intended. Now, look, I think what surprised me about this movie, I don't know about you, Bruce, but it's headlined by Charles Bronson, but the aforementioned Gene Davis playing the killer, it's half his movie. He's yeah. he's carrying the water for half the time. And also his, his daughter, Charles Bronson's daughter, yeah, he plays, Bronson plays his detective named Leo Kessler, and his daughter, Laura, is played by Lisa Albacher. She carries the water too. So, and it's, he seems like almost a supporting player in this movie until the third act. But I, I appreciated how it really focuses half of it focuses on the killer. And if you like, 
if you're in for a cheesy Charles Bronson movie, I think this is this actually fulfills that kind of meal. Does that make it a good movie? I think it's really up to the person. If if Charles Bronson is your jam, I think this you have to see Ten to Midnight. Our buddy Jason Kleberg over at Force Five Podcast, I believe either him or the other the other uh, guest host, they mentioned Ten to Ten to Midnight as one of their, one of their top five Bronson films. So let me throw it to you. Bruce, do you see any kind of merit regarding 10 to midnight if, you know, within, does it stay in its lane? Does it do the job or is it, uh, was it a disappointing watch for you? So this is a, a joint that's directed by J three star banger Thompson, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that once again, uh, if you kind of like the cheese, you like the exploitation, exploitation, uh, and you can get into that vibe. I think there's a lot of fun to be had here because there's a lot of stuff that's preposterous, but it takes itself seriously, but only to a point. Like you can tell it's sort of only trying part way. And by the way, I'm going to probably bring the weird tree of trivia for some of these just for fun. Cause I mean, there's a Love lot it. to say about this movie. It's a serial killer cop procedural combined together with a tough dude. Charles Bronson and all that kind of stuff. Um, so here's some fun trivia that I caught out of this one. First of all, oh, first of all, I wanted to say, um, is it Eugene Davis? He's the killer guy, right? Yeah, I, th- I think I think his name is what Gene Davis. Like, Gene Davis, yeah, G E N E, Gene Davis. I don't know about you guys, but he had he was. I don't think this has ever been said before. He was really channeling a very strong Steve Railsback vibe for me. Um, <laughs> Steve Rails back from the stuntman. Very, very good, Bruce. Very good mention. Well, I would say from Life Force and from Helter Skelter, but whatever. Okay. We, we don't, you know, come see, come saw. Um, <laughs> and this is not the only Charles Manson reference that'll happen tonight in reference to three star banger Thompson. I would say, though, so when he was pretending to be the, the serial killer dude naked, he had to get everyone used to him being naked around the set. So he was walking around naked all the time because it's the 80s and why not um right and he was doing that and she, yeah. she would not look at him she would not look down at little little gene and <laughs> so he won that little yeah. <laughs> so it's 10 to midnight so man she, 10 to midnight <laughs> <laughs> something like that uh and he so he tied a nice red bow around it just to get the attention i'm not going to say how this movie ended but originally that towards the ending at some point charles bronson was going to be having a, a fight a, a knockdown drag out wrestling fight with the naked guy. And Charles Bronson was like, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> he just like, he vetoed that right out of the gate. And 10 to midnight means nothing. Uh, they just had a script sitting there. They th- thought 10 to midnight sounded good. They combined the two and there you go. That's the movie. <laughs> I think, uh, I think David Cronenberg must've read that, uh, that wrestling with the naked man fight. <laughs> yeah. He took it. He, took he was like, I'm doing this. The reason why I was listening to another podcast, I believe it's called the wrong reel and the, the wrong reel podcast. And, they were mentioned, mentioning why Charles Bronson liked working with Jay Lee Thompson. Well, the aforementioned Michael Winner, the director behind Death Wish, he, Bronson was complaining that Michael Winter, Michael Winner always asked for about three plus takes and Jay Lee Thompson just wants to get the job done. He's just two take. You're saying three star Thompson. He's like two take Thompson as well. So <laughs> just get your two takes and get out. So very efficient director. And that's why Charles Bronson worked with Jay Lee Thompson for nine movies. Now I saw this on Tubi. I think all of us saw this on the streaming service Tubi. Love Tubi as a service because, you know, the ads are really not, not too intrusive. And I think for what it was, I had a good time. Also, little needless trivia, I lived a block and a half away from the Los Angeles courthouse, which is a prominent location in this movie. It's the opening location where where there's a van and – oh, 
Yeah, it, it's very prominent in this movie, and I lived in that whole area right on downtown LA, right on Grand Avenue, where the LA courthouse is, and a high rise for about almost ten years. And I was in that courthouse maybe once, twice. That's it. That's weird, but it's it's a great area. The way it's portrayed in this movie, it looks, it makes LA look very very dirty and dun- and dingy. And also, there is a there's a sequence in Ten to Midnight where the, the way he escapes an alibi is to harass two. Beautiful young women at a theater at a at a a showing of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. He he jimmies the bathroom window. He well, first of all, he he harasses them just so they remember him, so they're his witnesses. And then what he does is he goes to the bathroom and he just jimmies the window to to and he gets out of the window and he drives somewhere out into the like the forest to commit murder. Yeah, I I don't know how. Yeah, I don't know how long Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is. But with LA traffic, I don't know how he was able to do that. And it's weird, but it's just one of the weird, interesting things about Tented Midnight that as the cheese that Eric was saying, if you like cheese and you like Bronson, I don't know. For me, Tented Midnight is a three, it's a three and a half recommend. Bruce, is it a three star banger for you? So this is a three star film for you? Yeah, I would do it as a three star banger because it's, it's more entertaining than a three star just regular old movie is. Oh, oh, we didn't mention also. If you wanted to see what um, male sex toys looked like in 1983, you get a good close-up look of that in this movie as well. Yes. What, was, what, what was the line when he, <laughs> he was holding it in front of him? He's like, what's this for? It's for jerking off. Or... <laughs> <laughs> he throws it down. Like, Eric, I'm feeling you're giving 10 of Midnight four stars. What do you think? I don't know. No, this is this is exactly what the three star banger was made for. Yeah, so you recommend this? You this is you had a good time watching? Yeah, rewatching In fact, this. This is I think this is a movie that like again uh, comparing it to Seven. If you remade this, this could be a really really cool really cool serial killer movie. Yeah, like if you remade it and kind of took the cheese out and like just went totally serious with it. Um, yeah, but as it is, I I do like this one. Gina Kyo. It, she plays this character named Karen, and she's actually in a very – we're talking about exploita- exploitation, a very memorable sequence. I actually remember this sequence. I saw the sequence when I was a kid on television, and I, my brain was scarred back in the 80s watching this this part of 10 to Midnight. But this is – she plays Karen, a woman who is conf- gets confronted by the killer. And you know – I guess you know what happens to her ultimately. That's not a big spoiler because he, he does a lot of killing in this movie. Janet Kyo, she is actually – years later, she would end up – as one of the original members of the cast members of the the Real Housewives of Orange County for the first season, so she actually garnered a bit of fame for for her role in that reality series. A little extra trivia for Ten to Midnight, directed by Jaylee Thompson. We're off of the Charles Bronson era right now. Three stars for uh, three star bangers for both Bruce and Eric. Three and a half stars for me. You can currently see it on Tubi, or I'm sure it's going to be available. In various streaming outlets, I don't know if you're. If I was a big Bronson fan, I'd buy the Blu-ray. It's one of these things. I just wish there was a little bit more action. I think Bronson just took a little bit of a siesta. There's not too much action in this movie until the third act begins, and the third that the third act ends. Jaylee Thompson also admits that during his Charles Bronson era, when he looked back at his career, when he when he retired, he said, "Yeah, I guess you could." He was being self-deprecating. He was saying, "I guess you could consider me a little bit of a sellout." After the Charles, doing those, all those Charles Bronson films, but um, Bruce, is there nothing? Is there anything wrong with uh, doing these movies? I mean, it, it, this is entertainment, right? Yeah, well, and I think that was one of the things I I read about him too, because I didn't find a ton about him biographically. But one of the big things was he was annoyed by 
people that didn't just make movies for entertainment. So he kind of always made movies for entertainment, I think. I I, I mean, you could say he got into exploitation later on, but realistically, if you look at his history, he was always making pretty much entertaining movies. So... Yeah. And hopefully those two movies of J. Lee Thompson you're going to be reviewing at the end, hopefully some of them do have merit. Now I'm wondering if a movie, this is actually a movie recommended by my mother, Return from the Ashes. I had never heard of this movie and I actually decided to watch it per her recommendation because she's usually good with movie recommendations. It's 1965, directed by J. Lee Thompson, stars Maximilian Schell, co-stars Samantha Egger from The Brood, a movie that Bruce likes. and And she was also in a movie called The Collector. I don't know if you guys have seen The Collector. Eric, the one with the butterflies and Malcolm McDowell, and also Ingrid Thulin. This is one of those movies that is, I don't even know how to plot, do a plot summary of it. It's 105 minutes. Some of it's set in the Holocaust. And that's, it's, how do I, a woman returns from her, her time in post-World War II. Okay. It's Paris. She is back to reunite with her former lover. She was a formerly a rich Jewish doctor. This actress, play, Ingrid Thulin, that she plays this woman who is just returning from this, from just a real tragedy of war, of the Holocaust. Ingrid Thulin. She plays Dr. Michelle Misha Wolf. She returns to reunite with her, I guess, um, let's just say lover, played by Maximilian Schell. Yeah, husband. Yeah, I guess yeah. So we can say husband. Yeah, they were married. And, they, and the movie starts off a little bit when you realize that they start having a, a sort of a meet cute, I guess, at, at some kind of lounge. They start playing chess together and you, she instantly realized he's a bit of a cad. He's a bit of a playboy and she still loves him for it. She just loves it. Loves this guy, Stanislaus, played by Maximilian Schell. She absolutely knows, even though she's a doctor, she's beautiful. Her, I guess her friend zone coworker is Dr. Charles Boward, played by Herbert Lom. He's, he's just the friend zone guy. He's basically Greg Srizavasti in 1960, 1965. He's a really kind, sweet person and very responsible. She has no interest in him whatsoever. She would rather be with Stanislaus, who she knows is pretty much a wastrel. So like Eric says, even though they're, they're married, things, when things happen, when the war breaks and things hit the fan, she returns later from the war, a scarred human being, and she tries to re- rekindle her romance with Stanislaus. The only problem is there's a situation regarding her stepdaughter, played by Samantha Egger, right? She plays Fabian, F- Fabi Wolf, right? And there's a sort of a love triangle that goes on, and I don't, I think that's it. That is the premise of Return from the Ashes. Returning from the Ashes is a doctor, and it's about how she, is she going to reunite with him? Is her former lover, her husband, is he, fooling around with her stepdaughter who she who by the way the doctor never really paid any attention to Ingrid Thulin's character she never paid attention to her stepdaughter so you're wondering she's not a really perfect human being she's had tragedy also within the first several minutes of this movie you have Ingrid Thulin uh, the doctor she is very she is like a zombie she's catatonic obviously from the holocaust she sees something happen in the train that she's in that's absolutely tragic and she is still catatonic. That is a horrific opening opening moment. Seen at the end of the movie, there is a De Palma-esque countdown to a situation where there could be a, a, a killing and you're wondering how that's going to work out. It's like sort of like the bomb, the, what the Hitchcockian bomb under the table situation that I thought is really brilliantly executed, I think. I thought this was a really cool soap opera-esque kind of thriller. Eric, did you see validation with Return from the Ashes? Did you see a little bit of skill regarding the storytelling, or am I overhyping this movie? Oh, I, I love the shit out of this movie. Oh, um, sweet. 
it, it was just kind of uh actually maybe th- maybe this is the fingerprints from 10 to midnight because uh charles bronson he's the air quote hero but he's not a good guy like he's a he's a terrible cop and um he, he the the thing that he does to get his guy is just reprehensible yeah and so with this the kind of love triangle they have and different gambits that they have you're kind of rooting for one character and then you're like oh wait no they're a piece of shit and then you feel sorry for another character and like oh wait no they're a piece of shit too. right <laughs> like it's just like a, the, the only one that's really like uh she's angry the daughter's angry but she has every right to be like she's the only one that i think has any sort of redeeming value as a as a person Right, because she's been neglected her entire that. life. She's, I would argue that. You would argue that. <laughs> well, so she she's angry, but the reason she's angry, totally track. Yeah, it, but her response she, to the anger, it makes her a terrible person, too. Yeah. I, I, like, I, what I, what her intention to do with that anger is, is makes her terrible. Yeah. Bruce, you're, a, you're splitting hairs with, with oh, yeah, murder. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, premeditated. The, the, the whole the shitheadiness begets shitheadiness. Like, sure. No, I'm saying they're all bad. I'm just saying yeah, all there's bad. no yeah. good one. <laughs> I, no, I, I, think... I, 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 forgot the, I forgot about the thing that, that I, I forgot that that was her idea. <laughs> yeah, there is a really yeah, entire plan right. is hers. <laughs> the, the, there's a really cool idea that actually, I think it's, we, we don't want to mention it, but it's, I think it's really well done. I actually the only good person in this movie might be Herbert Lom's character as Doctor Chol- yeah. Charles Bo- Bovard or yeah Bovard yeah he's he, he, he planned a murder too yeah, I forgot <laughs> <laughs> so Bruce your thoughts on well Eric loved the you know what out of it how did you feel about Return from the Ashes did it have some merit as well well it was directed by J three star Banger Thompson um, so <laughs> yeah this is a this is a honestly it, it's it's dressed up as a classy movie but it's a trashy movie. That's that's what this movie is. That's so weird, so, right? Isn't that yeah. weird? Because it starts out, I mean, I was very confused for the, about the first 30 minutes because you have her, you know, sullen and, and like shell-shocked from being in the concentration camps and riding the train home. And she's she looks old and scarred and she can barely even, no personality hardly. And then we have this extended flashback where we saw how she met him and what led her to it and what led her to getting taken by the Nazis and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a, uh, a melodramatic, but a serious drama about her trying to get her love back after the effects of the war and how she's been scarred by it. It's going to be this, you know, this kind of dramatic thing. And then it just takes a hard turn. Basically, <laughs> basically, right after she gets back, Herbert Long meets her and he's like, oh my God, I didn't even recognize you. You look terrible, basically, is what he says. He's like, you look terrible. Let's get you some plastic surgery. So bang, they get her some plastic surgery. You look great now. Let's go have you meet up with your, uh, with your former guy. And then she meets up with him and there's this whole subplot. I'm not going to say the whole story, but there's this whole subplot for about 20 minutes where she is pretending not to be who she is. And they're fooled that she not is not who she is. And then they just go like, oh, surprise, it's me. Then it becomes another story. And I'm like, this plot is ridiculous. But I was having a great time all the way through. Yeah, no, any no scrutiny. Do not scrutinize this plot or it's ridiculous. And I do want to say, Samantha Egger? Yes. Her, she is chewing up this role. Like, she is just loving She's it. So and good. I don't know how known she was before this, if at all. But this definitely would get people to notice her, I think, because it's like, wow, who's this person? She's she's popping off the screen. Even if you don't think her performance is, it's not super grounded, maybe. She's like really, you know, like I said, she's just being the femme fatale times 10. She's doing a great job at it. You, said, would- 
trash. You said entertaining trash, Bruce. Was it entertaining trash for you? Yes. Yes, it was. It was entertaining trash. But once I accepted that, (laughs) once once I was like, oh, I see what this movie is. I was thinking of something else. And I'm like, because I was like, this is tasteless. This is the most tasteless use. And I think I still agree with this. It is. This is about the most tasteless use of the Holocaust I've seen in a movie in a long time. Mainly because it it uses it for a pure plot point. That's the only reason it's there. But that that being said, once you understand what it is, it's like, okay, well, that fits in this world. That's fine. You know, it's because it's ridiculous. I do want to point out a line that I loved and it's a great line. I don't know if it's ever been used again, but if it hasn't been, someone needs to steal this and use it again. And I think this is Maximilian Schell's character saying this. And she says something like she says to him something like, you know, you don't want me. You just want me for my money. And he says, I want you and the money, not necessarily in that order. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's amazing. Eric, as a writer, did did you like the fact that, like you said, all these people are pretty much unlikable? It's hard. It's, isn't it hard to actually have really unlikable characters throughout the entire story? I mean, you got to pull for somebody. And well, by the end, actually, yeah. I, I would say they're they're likable as characters. They're just not good people. There's characters that are good people that, like, I don't like them. <laughs> Either because well, they're boring or annoying or whatever. Like, the, these characters, are, well, we'll say they're certainly interesting. All the plot stuff that happens, I, I was eating it up the entire time. Just like the coming back from the Holocaust. There's something you know, with the kids we don't want to mention. that up with, uh, with the whole thing that they had where they thought didn't know because it, it makes sense that they wouldn't know that she's alive wow you look a lot like my ex-wife <laughs> it, it, which sounds ridiculous but, but she she even says she got a fake tattoo on her arm so they can <laughs> oh my god <laughs> my gosh it's so I unforgivable mean, using that as a plot point the, ridiculous so, <laughs> i guess how, how else are you gonna how else are you gonna no, no fair how, how else no of course again i'm just saying like not recognize his wife the, yeah, the yeah, only way that true. works is if you believe 100 percent who the right. fuck who the fuck came out of the holocaust no one oh shit you did like that that's not no, the, the, i'm saying they still believed it when she said oh well i got this i just got this fake tattoo for you that, that that's just it though <laughs> well i mean that's not how tattoos work they don't work that fast but... <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying it's just kind of preposterous but at that point you're going with it right yeah I mean, you're you know I'm also also, for the time, I, oh, no, they got tattoos back then. How risque was this movie at the time? It feels kind of risque. It feels, yeah, it does. Well, there's a whole, by the way, there's a whole maybe 15, 20 minutes devoted to estates and, and inheritance, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, there's so many things in this movie. I don't even know if, um, if, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, it has a little bit of a pot boiler element to it, too. It's just, I think for me, this is a five star banger because it's not a classic movie, but it's just this trash that I purchased the Blu ray. I will continue to watch if I want to see harrowing things in my life with a bit of cheese into it. I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna watch the first five minutes with the, the train sequence. If I want to see a, a black and white Brian De Palma scene where something might go off or might not, I'll I'll go to the end. If I want to see a chess scene that really goes nowhere and it's ridiculously constructed, I'll go to the the meat cute. Uh, uh, like, that's yeah. not true. The, okay, the, yes. chess, the chess scene at the beginning is is very. The, those themes of thinking a couple steps ahead is pretty much the entire movie. They make sure that chess board is right in the front of the scene <laughs> yeah. all the way through. Too. <laughs> in case you didn't get but, it. 
but the, I mean, the the whole idea that you know Jules Dassin setting up everything and yeah, then just fair. slowly paying out. There's a lot of that in this. I think the only thing that doesn't quite work is they kind of cheated at the end mm-hmm. because of what they showed and then what actually happened. Even though I mean, you could probably figure it out. Yeah, yeah. I I, I just like with the whole theme of playing chess. I do like that they set it up as uh, thinking three steps ahead. And at least in my opinion, I thought they actually pulled it off because watching all the gambits pay off in certain ways. Other than that one shot where they cheated that, I think a lot of their gambits could work to some degree. Like none of it doesn't make sense, I guess. Listener, this is how interesting Return from the Ashes is. I just said Return from the Ashes is a five-star film, but Eric did did a really interesting rebut regarding the importance of the chess gambit and the different gambits in the movie. This means this is a very interesting movie to talk about. We don't want you. I mean, what is your rating for this, Eric? That was five stars for me. That's amazing. I am. I I, I, I wanted to go with the three you, star banger just for the bit, but I <laughs> I, I really liked it. It was just uh, as soon as they put it on and they started just doing stuff, I was just on the edge of my seat the whole time. Like. Uh, and again, this is probably like uh, maybe this is just my thing with the uh, windfall and the one we did last week. With oh the, yeah, you with really like the these cow. kind of yeah, you like these kind of things, especially. I think. What was the one he did last week? I'm I'm completely the, the cow. The what was the other name for the cow? Oh, the cow. Yeah, yeah, the cow. Uh, gone, gone in the night. night. Yeah, yeah, gone in the night. They should have kept the name of the cow. <laughs> they should have <laughs> the uh, blood cow or the cow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, man. yeah I, I, I like movies like that. This is probably why I responded to Jules Dassin so much is when when you can set up kind of a Rube Goldberg device isn't sure. the right thing, but that kind of thing. I think so. Where, I think where you're right setting thing. up the plot and then yeah. you get to watch the plot play off, play out. And then this one had like three or four different versions of that, like throughout the movie. It was just like one plot after another, after another. And the whole time it's going, I'm like, uh-huh. And then what happens? <laughs> so maybe that's just uh, a windfall kind of had a little bit of that. So maybe that's just my uh, weakness, I guess. Yes. Again, Return from the Ashes, as we speak, you can actually watch it for free on YouTube. Just look it up on YouTube. I actually purchased a Kino Lorber Blu-ray of Return from the Ashes. I love this movie so much. Apparently, I thought Eric would just really enjoy it and appreciate it. He gives it a five-star banger as well. Bruce also, in his own way, gives it a three-star banger. So this is I mean, we're all on board regarding Return from the Ashes. So that's amazing. I I got the bit for you, Eric. I got the bit. You can just let it go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now, regarding five-star bangers, three-star bangers, I just wonder our theory or our thoughts on this movie called Resurrection. Have you ever done anything bad? When I was young, I did something bad. Unforgivable. There was this man, and he was handsome, charismatic, and he noticed me. And I guess I wasn't as tough as we thought. What happened? Nothing. I just, I just feel a bit off. Are you speaking to me? Stay away from me and my kid. Okay, you are mistaking me for someone else. I know him. I know what he's capable of. I've missed you so much. The life. 
we made was perfect. Come after me. Come after my child. I swear to God, I will kill you. He wants to hurt us. But I won't let that happen. I think you're having an episode. I'm the only one that can see you. The only person that really knows who you are. First of all, Rebecca Hall is a very amazing actor. We love her. Our buddy Anderson Cowan over at Cinematics in the Film Vault and After Disaster, he was went on a whole rant about how much he really adores the talent of Rebecca Hall. Here in Resurrection, she plays sort of a biotech executive living in New York. She's she's living with her daughter. Her daughter's maybe 17, going on 18. They live in a really nice skyrise apartment. Not a skyrise, a really beautiful apartment in the Tony area of New York City. Everything seems so fine, except there's a little, a little bit of a fault in her. She might be a little bit of an overprotective mother. And that overprotective-ness of her leads to a fever pitch level. When she, upon one day, upon some kind of uh, conference, she happens to see a mysterious man who she knew, a man from her past, played by Tim Roth. And she believes that this man, who Tim Roth plays, is the man who emotionally scarred her years ago. And as soon as she sees him in that conference, she stumbles out of the, the darkened room and she just runs home. And from that moment on, it's a devolving state of her being tense, her job getting probably she's actually one of the leaders in her in her field in her job it compromise it might compromise her job might compromise her relationship with her loving and overprotective relationship with the daughter who knows is this tim roth character a just a specter is he a figment of imagination is he an innocent bystander or is he the person who tormented her years before that is a premise of resurrection in theaters july 29th and on demand august 5th bruce i have no idea what this movie is about I think that's a kind of a cool thing. I end up enjoying this movie. We're going to talk about barrier of entries in, in a bit, but your overall thoughts on Resurrection. Yeah, well, I like this movie quite a bit. I think it's going to be a really hard movie to talk about without spoiling stuff, too, because there's major... Let's just say there's a point, I'd say it's about not quite halfway through, where she gives a major... She tells a story to her intern and a big, long story about her history with this guy who's just shown up which reveals a whole nature of her being like freaked out about his presence and her protectiveness over her daughter and what's going on. And it kind of sets the whole foundation of everything. We can't really talk about what he, what that is because that tells you a whole big thing you're going to find out. So the barrier for entry of this kind of movie is this, this is one of those movies that could easily be seen as, is it all in her imagination? And she's just going mad and it's just this kind of descent into madness or is there something really happening or is it a little bit of both? What is exactly going on here? Some people get really annoyed by those kind of movies. Now on the plus side, I would say this is the best I've seen Tim Roth in years. I haven't seen a performance from Tim Roth like this in years and years and years. Bergman Tim Island? Roth, hmm? Bergman Island? Mm, yeah, he was really good in that, but he but didn't it's really not, carry he, that movie. That's right. Yeah. He was incidental this in that movie, movie. Yeah. This movie, there's moment when he's across the table, literally across the table from Rebecca Hall in this movie. It's amazing. And the two of them playing off each other and based on what you just found out about their relationship in the past and what's happening between them and the way he plays it is freaking great. And- not needless to say, she's great. 
And she's really, really solid in this movie, as she tends to always be. But once again, she has to kind of carry the 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 made major amount of weight in this movie. There is going to definitely be a level of people are going to bail out in this movie, though, if you're not into this mm, reality bending level that it gets to. I quite liked it. I think I can explain what I think is going on in this movie. I think I know what's going on in this movie, but that's what I think is going on in this movie. And I think you could also make a case that something else is happening. Well, I think you're going to like this movie if you can make a case for it. If you don't mind making yeah. a case for the movie, if you mind not everything being explained to you, which is I, – I don't – that's you're not a critic critique. Nothing yeah. being explained to you. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry, Eric. I'm sorry. Or nothing being explained to you. Yes, right? Nothing being – so, Eric, the barrier to entry – is that uh, the barrier to entry is, I, I guess, we, what we talked about with the return from the ashes, where they're the characters are terrible people, but they're likable or interesting. Yeah. This is like the opposite, but really? I guess no, wow, okay, no, they, they, they're they're pretty unlikable characters. I was um, gonna say, they're it, not very good, except for the daughter. Wait, wait, so the daughter is really cool because she plays Elder Scrolls with her friends on the PC, so I'm, I'm cool with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> Tim Roth. Might be good, might not be. I mean, he's painted as not good, but I, that's that's one of the that's one of the issues I have with this. This movie doesn't say anything really. It's just kind of it, it feels like weirdness for weirdness' sake. That that being said, I I, I was still riveted the whole way through, like wondering where where this mystery was going to end up and lead to. One of the things that really bugged me right off the bat was that this is written in a certain way where you know in romantic comedies where one part of the couple comes in sees the other part of the couple doing something and then they i don't need to see hear you say anything and they turn and leave if they would just say hey here's the thing and explain it then there's no movie this has a bunch of that you can't go outside why not because I said so. I'm like, you explained everything to your coworker. Just explain it to your daughter because her life is on the line, apparently. But I, I would do that is anything. a that is a plot hole. That is a plot I, hole. I would do I, anything I, for I would do anything for my daughter, you know, except tell her the truth about literally anything. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. You make a good but, point. But uh, at the same time, that's not really a plot hole because of where this goes or doesn't go i think a lot of people might find this movie interesting i think some people are going to be pissed off when they find out that this movie goes nowhere spoiler alert i guess <laughs> but uh well that's interesting that you say it goes nowhere i feel like it goes somewhere i think a lot of people will agree with you eric that it goes nowhere but if it does go nowhere is it something that you would recommend as a cinematic experience regarding the editing the pacing the thriller elements oh, yeah. the perform okay this is about the journey this is not about the destination because the destination I think is akin to it was all a dream. That's not what it is, but it's equally unsatisfying. I Fair. In, yeah. in my opinion, I think this works best as like a, a character study almost just of just watching her slowly dip into madness. She's so good um, in this movie. Yeah. And so from that perspective, it's really good. So I would say if you're watching it, um, just don't get too hung up on the plot. I would just kind of soak in the atmosphere and focus in on the characters themselves. Uh, watch it as a character study. Because if you watch this as a plot, you might be pulling your hair out by the end. And so I'm excited. I want to know what your rating is. What's your what's your rating on this movie? This is tough. <laughs> come back to me. I'll come back to you in a second, Bruce. I, I liked it. I, I know that much, but for, for this me, this is a tough one. For me, this is a a strong recommend. I mean, a strong enough recommend it. Four stars, four out of five stars, because it's one of these things. If you like ambiguity, if you don't mind being a little bit frustrated with the ending, 
And like Eric was saying, it's about the journey. I liked a lot of the, the, the way this was shot, the, the score, the way it was paced and edited. It's just a really well done movie written and directed by Andrew Siemens. I, great performances, like you were mentioning with Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth and the daughter played by Grace Coffin. She's also very good in this movie. Yeah, I, this was an overall, as far as the journey goes, it's a four star journey for me, except the caveat is we have to warn people about certain people will, like Eric said, will be pissed off regarding the resolution of resurrection. So what do you think, Bruce, regarding your rating? Um, I think you guys are absolutely right about warning people about that. I think it went somewhere. I have a theory about where I think it went, but that's because how I read it. I will also give it four stars too. I enjoyed, I think, the plot a little more. I like, I actually liked the path and the, I think there's a resolution, but once again, that's me. Uh, one thing I do want to point out that I think is I really did enjoy about the plotting of this. I know you're really annoyed about the daughter thing, which I get that. I also have a reason I think that works. But one thing I did really like, though, was I like the fact that people started telling her to get help. Like, like they're like, no, 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 you need to get help. You're having issues. Yeah. I'm Here is a card. Get help. And I like the fact that, and I'm not going to say how it re- resolves with her daughter and stuff, but I think how that went, I also liked. So there's some things, because I don't think it resolved the way you think it did, but I, that's me, that's my theory. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I liked it. Four stars. We're good. Eric, back to you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think that's about right. Four, you're going to give this four stars? Yeah. For you, for you. Yeah, because I don't think you like it that much, though. Three and a half, though, maybe. Uh, Well, see, now, now I'm thinking of like, uh, what I just said, like watching it it as like a character study. Like the, the, the acting's great. The, the way they do the, the character is great. It looks awesome. I just didn't like the, now that I'm thinking of it, I'm watching it as a, I guess a narrative, like a traditional narrative. Um, you know, it's a plot, and it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't work at all like that. It's just too confusing. But all okay. the stuff that they do right, and I did enjoy watching it as I was watching it, even though I was pulling my hair out by the end. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, probably three and a half. Three and a half. Three and a half? Is that a generous three and a half? It sounded like a three for you. but No, um... that's a three and a half that maybe could go, go up to a four. Oh, good. Or, or good. it could go down to a two and a half. Who knows? <laughs> like maybe, maybe I'll watch it again and hate it. You know, just all the stuff that piss me off maybe pisses me off more or maybe uh, after we're done recording bruce tells me what he thinks of the ending and then i'll go oh shit i didn't think of that and then maybe bumps up to a five who knows this is 100 percent. watch this movie and you're gonna feel away about it one way or another or maybe you'll just be absolutely confused like i am okay okay so that is <laughs> resurrection eric gives it the low score of three and a half that's not a low score though that's still a recommend even though he had issues with it, he felt it went nowhere at the end. But as far as execution, he was fine with it it's with a lot of parts. So Bruce and I both really enjoyed it for different reasons. We give it four stars. Again, I think all of us really warn you guys that get ready for some kind of, like Eric said, get ready to feel some kind of way about resurrection, okay? <laughs> yeah. Let's just say this, okay? We're warning you already. Okay, Eric, sorry. You know, you know they, they always have that thing that you can't make a – you can make a bad movie out of a good script but not the other way around. This is proof that you can do that. <laughs> you can make a good movie out of a bad script. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> On the poster. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is very interesting about Resurrection. I'm glad we had this talk about this movie. It's one of these things where I feel like Rebecca Hall, she gets a lot of lead roles. She directed that movie that was released last year on Netflix, Passing. 
Do you guys feel she's an, still an underrated actress, or is she just getting really good roles now? She's at the peak of her career as far as that. And she did that, that movie last year. I forget. I forgot what that. The Night House or something. Something. The Night House. Yeah. Yeah. So. I don't think she's underrated with film lovers, but I think in the average person doesn't necessarily know who she is. Yeah, she's so good in this movie. I'm sure Bruce, you liked watching her unravel for the entire narrative. Was that really? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right out of the gate, when I saw how like she was so in control and this businesswoman kind of a thing, I was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> we know where this is going. <laughs> so it's so good. It's so, and again, it stars Grace Coffin, who I think she's really good as well. It's a, it's not a really meaty role, but it's a very substantial role as well because she has to actually go toe to toe with Rebecca Hall. And I believe she does a really good job as well. Again, in theaters on Friday, July 29th. Another movie that we're covering, this is a documentary. It's called My Old School. It comes out in theaters July 29th. I don't even know how to even start with this movie. It's It centers on a... What is it? It's a... Yeah, it's yes, a documentary sir. about Brandon Lee. It, mm-hmm. Very good. It's a documentary about a person named Brandon Lee. Not the Brandon Lee who passed away, not the actor who passed away. It's a school kid. Back in 1993, 16-year-old Brandon Lee, he is enrolled at Beard's Beardsden Academy, and it's a secondary school in a well-to-do suburb of Glasgow, Scotland. It's a really nice area. The academy is a very interesting school. A lot of people are very strict there. There's a certain way to conduct your business. But this 16-year-old Brandon Lee, he on his first day of school, People notice him right off the gate because he doesn't look like your average 16-year-old. He looks a little bit older. Bottom line is he's a bit of an eccentric. He ingratiates himself with various students and the rest of the documentary. Part of it is is uh, animation style. The talking head interviews are obviously not animation style. So you it's good because it is a talking head documentary, but they fill in with these flashbacks and a lot of animation sequences regarding my old school. Basically, throughout the rest of the documentary, you realize who this Brendan Lee is, why is he here at Beersden Academy in 1993? Why does he look a little bit older than the average teenager? And it's directed by filmmaker John O. McLeod. Yeah, I... Oh, also, here's a really... It's animation, talking head, but also another big draw is Alan Cumming. He plays Brandon Lee because Brandon Lee doesn't want his face actually in the documentary. You actually hear Brandon Lee's voice throughout the movie and it's lip-synced by Alan Cumming. I found this to be a very informative and engaging documentary. It's in theaters July 22nd. For me, this was a worthy watch. I was... It's a movie that because of just uh, my my schedule, I was able to actually watch this, get this movie under the gun. I'm glad I was able to see it. I do recommend this movie just on a base level, especially if you love documentaries, if you want to actually uncover the secret behind Brandon Lee. I think it's very cool what you get to what's uncovered regarding this documentary. Eric, your thoughts on my old school? Uh, well, first of all, the Alan Cumming thing, him lip syncing the interview with the Brandon Lee. Yeah, I, I thought that was kind of. I think that was kind of cool how they did that. Oh, and the the director was one of the kids in his class. Yes. So, yes. so that's kind of a that's kind of a neat uh, sort of background. But I, I was thinking with uh, watching Alan Cumming kind of lip sync, like you fall into that really quick. Because like he gets all the mannerisms and stuff down, it almost seems just like he's talking. It's almost like a anti-animation. Normally, the actors go in and they provide their voice for the animation. It's not often that the actors come and provide their body for something <laughs> right. that was yeah, already yeah. voiced. So that that was certainly an interest, uh, interesting way to go about it. The animation, I, I've heard it say it looks like Daria. 
and it does it's that kind of animation so the story gets really interesting they kind of set it up as a mystery of who's this brandon lee what's you know some like he's really popular and then they kind of uh, hint that there's something weird going on and they finally get there as far as the mystery goes this probably goes on like maybe 20 minutes too long, half hour too long. Cause there, there comes a point where, okay, we get it. And then now we're not really getting any more new information after that. This is also a documentary where I like all the people they're talking to, like all the, all the, the school, the kids are now grown adults. Um, I want to hang out with all of them. They, they just seem like great group of people. And so even though the, even though the mystery kind of, uh, kind of lost its flourish about two-thirds of the way through i think just the interviews with the uh classmates kind of kept me going yeah they're all engaging i yeah. didn't find it, I, I didn't find the actual talking heads that boring whatsoever and i do agree with you i think it was a little bit long in the tooth once the mystery is uncovered it, they go back a couple of times to various themes and various topics and i was thinking okay so this could have they could have cut off maybe 10 to 12 minutes from this documentary but also another fun fun part is when they explain like normally in a a documentary like this they here's the thing that happened and then they talk to the talking head and they're like it was the worst day of my life and i cannot believe they did it (laughs) like Right. They they don't react that way at all. Like they react to things as like, oh, it's quite funny, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. The reactions are really cool. They're just they're like just picking on themselves and just laughing at the absurdity of the whole thing. And so, yeah, that that was good stuff. Yeah. Well, actually, Bruce, you recommended this documentary. You, you told me it was at least on the baseline pretty good. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll watch it. Okay. I'll, I'll, and the, it, I actually sacrificed not okay because I didn't get my my screening link of not okay in the <laughs> midnight hour. But my old school ended up be. Being for me a three point five out of five um, baseline recommend, but how did how did it shake you down this doc? Yeah, very similar. I think it's a little long as well. I actually think it's a little long in the kind of the middle section. Honestly, I think there's more value in the very end part, and I'll tell you why I think there's value. Well, first of all, I might be wrong about this, but I thought I caught that. So we know that something notorious happened back then, but we don't know what it was exactly, unless we happen to have lived there. And I believe that at the time, they mentioned that Alan Cummings was going to be cast as the role in a fictional version of it that fell through. And that's why he's playing it now. And I thought that was a kind of a fun little twist. And you find that out you find that out right at the beginning. So the whole time you're waiting to find out what happened, what happened, what happened, you kind of, and it slowly unfolds. Where I think the second half, the the last third, I guess, I would cut out the middle part a little bit. The last third, I think, has a really great value. When the mystery has been uncovered, what we do that's really interesting is they've told us stories early on. And remember how at Hold Your Fire, they had some interviews, and then they showed that interview to the other people while they were talking, and they reacted to it? There's something kind of similar that happens here, where they have told us a story, how it happened a certain way. Towards the end of this movie, they see the event... Yes. And it changes their opinion of what actually happened that they've already told us about. And I thought that was really interesting. And there's other parts where the talking heads towards the end start putting, start actually putting together the pieces on camera. They're like, wait, why didn't that person – wait, wasn't that person yeah. doing that when we were there? <laughs> there's That kind of stuff happens on, on screen as we're listening to them talk. Like they're actually changing their opinion as we're watching them. And I thought that stuff was really good. So I like that stuff at the end. I like the stuff in the first half. I would have just cut a little bit in the middle part. Once again, like maybe 15 minutes. Yeah. It's pretty minor quibble. And once again, I liked it too. I, I think I'm probably with – I'm between three and a half and four. I think probably three and a half because of the length thing. So Okay. Yeah, my old school. Yeah. What about you, Eric? What's your rating on this? I like Steely Dan, so I'm going for. Yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> 
I, I'm right in between. I could go four too. I mean, it's right in there, right? Yeah. There. The, this has uh, the yeah. All the classmates are charming. The story's interesting, and like even all the behind the scenes stuff is you know all the behind the scenes stuff with Alan Cummings there, who the director is, like all all that stuff just kind of. Like, even though it shouldn't matter if you're watching the movie, all that stuff kind of seems to infuse itself into the documentary somehow. It, it's definitely interesting, but it's not harrowing. It's it's just kind of kind of fun, except for yeah, yeah the the part you mentioned where you get to see the same thing, but now knowing what you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. But it was that was amazing when that happened. You're like, I oh, mean, it, oh hey, wow, it, it, it was just a peck. It was just a peck. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> that's funny eric that it's very funny yes to, that was oh yeah yeah they, yeah this is this is good stuff and also the the whole idea of uh, alan coming lip syncing the voice i think this is stuff that other documentary filmmakers another tool they could probably use in the future assuming they haven't already i'm, I'm that had to have been done before him or maybe that's just one of those great ideas it's like you know it's a great idea when you hear about it and it's like why the fuck did no one think of this before either way yeah it's good stuff okay so that's my old school documentary we all liked it eric i'm, I'm a steely dan fan too but probably not as big, big as eric he gives it four stars for that film for my old school that doc very interesting documentary eric and i are we're gonna sit this one out this one is a movie that comes out on hulu exclusively on hulu friday july 29th written and directed by quinn shepherd previously she directed a movie called blame which i remember really really loving loving a lot this one stars zoe deutsch Dylan, Dylan O'Brien, some really good actors involved in here. Embeth Davis. Oh my God, Embeth Davis is in here? That's a really, uh, Nadia Alexander, who is also in Blame, and she's excellent in Blame as well. So many really interesting, Mia Isaac, very interesting actors. I'm really excited to actually see this movie. I do have the link, and I feel very, very bad that I was not able to see Not Okay, a movie that centers on an ambitious young woman played by Zoe Deutsch, and she finds followers and fame when she poses as a survivor of a deadly attack. The problem is, there's a lot of online notoriety that comes with, quote, a terrible price. That is the IMDb summary. It feels like it's a social media expose satire thing. Am I wrong on this assessment? Is there a lot more things about Not Okay that you loved? There's a red, white, and blue lettering to Not Okay. It's interesting as well. Is it deceptively deep, this movie, Chris? This movie, I I did quite like this quite a bit. I think that this travel some similar territory to Ingrid Goes West. I think Ingrid Goes West is a better movie to me than this a little bit, but this does some things that are a little different too. Right off the bat, bat, and oh, and this, I want to really want Eric to see this because the whole don't look up, like social satire, like what works and what doesn't work for you. So I really would like to see if this works for him and it doesn't work or vice versa, you know, like kind of get that take on it. But the beginning is this, it starts out and you just see that the world hates this Danny Sanders character. They hate her. It's just all these things on social media, how much they hate her. They want her to die. They're saying what a terrible person she is and so on and so forth. And then you get the, the quick little flashback to the inciting incident, which essentially is her at this magazine wanting to become an influencer, wanting to become a writer and be cool. And she's just not that good. And the people at work don't really like her that much. She meets this other influencer dude. She wants to impress him, but she's not cool enough. So she basically takes a couple weeks off and is sitting in her apartment. And she decides to Photoshop herself into this Paris trip. She's having a trip in Paris. She's posting all this stuff about how great of a time it is. She's at this writer's retreat and so on and so forth. What fucks her up is that there is a terrorist attack at the place she supposedly was where she photoshopped herself that morning. So now she could just be like, oh my God, I've been caught. I'm faking this trip. I'm still in New York. 
No, 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 no. She's not the type that does that. She's the type that will wait till that those people that are coming back from Paris come into New York and and sneak herself into the crowd and come off the plane so her parents can cry and meet her. That's the kind of person she is. And this movie basically follows her along her path. And this is the epitome of a movie where that you hate the quote protagonist a lot. And it it's becomes this giant social satire of like this kind of person and what this kind of person means. And can this kind of person be redeemed? Should this kind of person be redeemed? there is definitely stuff in there about like quote cancel culture once once again i don't believe in i don't think that's a real thing it's i think this is a really interesting movie and i think that the way that zoe plays the character is what works because you do feel yourself caring for her and going back and forth with her and wanting to because you're with her the whole time but then she'll do abhorrent things so you're constantly pulled back and forth and i think the ending is is absolutely uncompromising and absolutely perfect and absolutely is going to frustrate people. So I think oh. the movie could frustrate people too. Did you, were you, fr- okay, you liked the end. No, I liked so. it. I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot, but I can see a lot of people being really unsatisfied by the way that it ends. Or they could, I, I think people could be out all the way too. Cause it's showing this very, I mean, it's the same way as don't look up, right? If don't look up works for you, it works for you kind of all the way around because it's the tone and what it's telling you. This does similar things, but the tone is different and this tone works for me. So wow. Okay, so that's not okay. Bruce, it comes out Friday on Hulu. What is your yeah. rating for not okay? I would go four stars on this. I think it's really good. There's some really good work by other actors in here, especially uh, Mia Isaac as Rowan. She is a main character in this. I don't want to describe who she is and how she gets sucked into the world of Danny Sanders or how Danny Sanders maybe weasels herself into her world. It's interesting. It's good. Okay. Very, very good. Not okay. It sounds like a very interesting movie. Comes out Friday on Hulu. Well, I don't know. Hopefully, I'm still behind. I'm a couple weeks behind. Hopefully, I'll get to it. I'm Again, I, I don't think you've seen Blame. That might be a movie for you to see and put in the box as well. And for what's in the box, Bruce, uh, Blame, the movie Blame, which Quinn Shepard directed as well. Also, a quick mention is a movie called A Love Song. We came here for a field trip, 1970. 10th grade. Rained the whole time. Betty Bowman brought a toad home in her backpack. Oh, God. I remember. You tried to kiss me that day. You tried to kiss me. I don't remember that. I do. Eric, did you have something on, on your mind you wanted to say? Oh, no, no. Okay. There's a movie called The Love Song. stars Dale Diggy and Wes Studi, set in the southwest Colorado. It's an area, Eric, you've been to only once, right? Is it pretty? Is it you drove uh, the, by it? I've driven through south Colorado. Yeah, just in passing. In passing. I, I haven't stayed. I, I keep wanting to go to the Telluride, but the uh, um, when I looked up... Uh, tickets they were way out of my price range so i just decided to uh, watch the movies later on when they came out later yeah well i don't know if you guys are big fans of dale dickey from winter's bone leave no trace he's just a very good actress just he's so good here's the thing with a love song she is front and center she is the lead of this movie she plays a widow who just she's out in a campsite for i don't know several days maybe even longer she's 
waiting to meet just a long she's waiting to meet a childhood friend played by Wes Studi and it's a childhood friend maybe she hasn't seen in over 40 years that's the that's the plot of the movie she's waiting in the campsite during the day she she catches i guess crawfish or different fish in the accompany the lake right in front of her she knows how to trap them and she eats them she cooks them in her camper and then she sleeps at night thinks about the stars and thinks about birds beautiful open sky beautiful terrain in colorado if you like that picturesque feel of it you're gonna love a love song if you love dale dickie you're gonna love a love song as well and it co-stars west duty as her childhood friend that's the premise of the film this is at least a four and a half star film for me it's a very quiet film. The barrier to entry for this is if you don't, some people may say not a lot happens in this movie, but if you like movies like Nomadland, this will be a movie that I think will speak to you because it's really quiet in the way the performances are rendered. You've never seen West Studi like this before. He's very kicked back and relaxed. They, they play guitar tune. They get, they have a getting to know you moment. And it's written and directed by Max Walker Silverman. And he grew up in Southwest Colorado and it's a very personal film. For him, this is one of those movies I feel like Chloe Jaw several years ago when she just uh, broke into the scene. I think this is a guy who might get really big. You might get really big just based on the success, the impending success, at least critical success of a love song. So that opens Friday, July 29th. I did not give screener links to Bruce and Eric because they had a lot on their plate this week. So I don't know. Maybe we'll see. What, after I stop recording, I'm going to ask them if they want to actually see this movie so they can do a rewind. And because it look, tell you the truth, it's Wednesday night. We're recording this. I have no screener links available for them yet. And then what happens? Like clockwork, either... Thursday morning, Bruce wisely asked me, Greg, do I have anything for next week yet? And exactly, I do this every single week. I get a, I have an anxiety, a panic attack, and I send 50 emails to different publicists. And by the end of two hours, we have Eric and Bruce have five or six movies to watch within the next week. So I don't know. We're, we're going to see if a love song is something that they're going to want to see. Eric, you have I uh, wanted to point out you haven't posted it yet, but you did the uh, interview with. Um, oh yeah, Dale Dickey. Dale and yeah, Daryl yeah. Dickey and West yeah. Studi. And I do a good job. Am I okay? I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to give away. Oh, what Studi said, but you asked what are some good movies from their past that are under. Give it away. You know, like. give it away. Give it no, away. No, no, no. You got to listen to the interview when Greg posts it because <laughs> uh, West Studi has a great answer and. In fact, I think both their movies should probably be put in the box. And Bruce, I'm sure you've seen both of them. But the answer he gave, I was like, was not expecting that. But I agree 1000%. I'm so sorry, Eric Holmes. I'm going to override you. Guys, listeners, if you want to listen, if you want to listen to the interview, I'm going to post it up later this week. I'm going to post it on our, on our podcast cinematics. But this is Find Your Film. What are some of the gems? This is us asking actors and filmmakers to find a gem from their own collection to give to us, me, Bruce, and Eric, for us to watch. Eric, what does West Studio want? Is it Heat? Is it Geronimo, directed an American legend directed by Walter Hill? What is the movie that he suggests that we watch? And Bruce, do you have a guess? Because you haven't listened to the interview. What is that West Studio film? Do you have any? No? Dances with Wolves? Okay. Okay. Eric, what is it? It was Mystery Man. And the joy on his face when he said Mystery Man just yes. lit my heart up. <laughs> that sequence so in Mystery Man is one of the two best things in that movie. Okay. So I don't know. We'll put that in the box, Bruce. If you put that in the box, I think, I think I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong in this. Whenever an actor or filmmaker actually has something put on the box, maybe all of us should at least try to see it. I The way I said it, I just made I, I made 
I made the, the, the plebes, us, look like a low-rent human beings. <laughs> if Nathan Day put something in, does that mean Eric? Maybe. I don't know. But anyways, I think that'd be kind of a cool idea. Mystery Man is one. And Eric, do you remember what Dale Dickey's two recommendations from her body of work is? Do you remember? So I can, she I can had help. Winner's Bone and I can't remember what the – I think – was she another one or was that the – Yeah, Leave No Trace. That... She has Leave No Trace or okay. Winner's Bone. Bruce, you can pick one of them to put in the box as far as maybe Winner's Bone. Is it because it's uh, 2010? You think you want to put yeah, it in Yeah, they're both or... great, but Winner's Bone could probably get, do a good rewatch. So, yeah, Winner's Okay, Bone's we'll good. do Winner's Bone for – speaking of what's in the box, we're not going to get to the box yet for Bruce because he's he's got to unearth some really good, I, I don't know, uh, JLT movies – before we do that, we need a musical interlude. Eric, can you be the ringmaster ringleader and introduce our musical guest this week, who, who we pay him at least $500,000 every single episode to, to drop something? Can you can you introduce this guy? Yeah, I will introduce this guy. And at the request of Mitch Burns, I'm going to go real long and slow during this request. I'm requesting a beat from a man named Pete Abeda, or as we like to call him, Beat Abeda. Sorry, I'm taking so long, but I just really want you to savor in this beat that Pete's about to drop. So, yo, Pete, drop that beat. Who's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? You lie! No! What's in the fucking box? Okay, we're back, folks. Eric went so slow. He, he exceeded our podcast limit for the month. We're not back next week. <laughs> I like I like the slow I like the slow mo. I like slow mo, Eric Holmes. But okay, thank you, Pete, again as for your usual music interlude. Again, you can catch Pete over at Middle Class Film Class. He actually here's a cowardly act by me, very cowardly act by me. At the end of the interview with the director of a love song, Max Al- Max Walker Silverman, I asked him the favorite movie question. Do you guys have an idea? He did love song. Do you have a movie that what do you think is his favorite movie? Eric, you guess right off the top of your head. What do you think? Gremlins. Gremlins. Ooh, good one. Uh, Bruce, why don't you why don't you guess? Just right off the top. Uh, usual suspects. Oh, very good. His favorite movie is Shrek, and I did not have the oh. balls. <laughs> I did not have the balls to ask him if he loves Shrek retold. I so wanted it's, to ask him. I so wanted to ask him if you. You uh, segue that in from Pete. Yes. How did Bruce were dumb? <laughs> See, it was Shrek retold. <laughs> How did that just go right over both our heads? <laughs> yeah, so anyways, I, I really I really feel bad regarding Shrek Retold. I really feel bad that even though Jay Lee Thompson was my, my guy this week, actually the person who's doing the hard work is Bruce Perky. Let's throw it to Bruce. There are two JLT movies that we have yet to get to. Let's start with – I want to start first with the surprise pick. Oh, yeah. you do, do you? I would okay. love to. Yeah, please. Okay. please well, please, let sir. me – okay, surprise pick. It's from 1966, and here is the cast, the main cast. Members, we have David Hemmings. You know David Hemmings Is it from, from Blow Blowout. Blow no Blowout and no 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 Deep no. Red. Oh Deep Red, yes yes. Yep, Blow Up. You mean Blow, blow up. up? But my my fault. Yes, yes. we have Deborah Carr. You saw Eye of the Devil. Eye of the Devil. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, Okay. Deborah Carr, David Niven. Did you have you seen it? No, no. This it's actually I have the Blu-ray, one archive Blu-ray. It's it's yeah. actually in my in my dad's cabinet. I've been meaning to see it. I well, great. I was thinking you were gonna go with the plea route with the with a couple of Planet of the Ape films. Nope. Wow. David Niven, Donald Pleasance, and introducing Sharon Tate in this movie. Wow. <laughs> so, Solid, right? So yeah. this movie, it's it's 1966, but it's black and white. This movie, if it did not influence at least somewhat, and I didn't get to read through all of the the trivia, so maybe I don't know if it's already talked about. If this did not at least influence a little bit the Wicker Man and possibly the Omen, I'd be amazed. Basic concept, and it it's probably not as good as either, 
but it's pretty darn good. Basic concept is this David Nivens. He's living with Deborah Carr. They have two kids, little kids. He gets a call or he gets basically a notification that the vineyard, his family vineyard in France, they live in France already. This vineyard in France is is failing and he needs to get out there. And he says, I'm going to go. Don't worry about it. I'll go there. I'll take care of this. You don't need to go out there. So he goes out there. It's black and yeah. white film? My it gosh. is. It is black and white. And it's called Belenac. And you get there and it's like this giant castle. And when he drives through, it's one of these movies, right? Where he drives through the town and like the little village next to the castle. And all the people are watching him go through. And they're all watching him like, hey, here you are. We're glad to see you. Thanks for coming back. And he says, you know, what's he said? He said, Deborah Carr and the kids, you don't need to come out. You don't need to come out. He gets out there and immediately you see David Hemmings and uh, Sharon Tate's characters are like brother and sister. Blonde, beautiful and the David Hemmings character, immediately, he's got a bow and arrow and he shoots a dove down. Shoots a dove down and it falls down dead with an arrow through it. And you're like, what? what's going on? It's one of these weird manners, weird family histories, weird little town. And then she, of course, is like, I got to go out there and find out what's going on. Come on, kids. We're getting out there. She goes out there. And like the first night, she wakes up and is hearing weird sounds and stuff. And she goes down the hallway and she looks in a room and there's people in black cloaks and they're having some kind of a ceremony. And she's like, what the hell? And they close the door, you know, and everyone's like, what's, oh, and when she goes through town, all the people are like scowling at her and like closing windows and stuff, you know, like, why are you here? (laughs) This looks scary. I'm looking at the trailer right now. It looks really horrifying. (laughs) This movie of all of the ones I saw by him, it has the most style. It's very, there's lots of snap zooms. There's lots of really cool, like you could tell this is highly influenced by like the haunting and like all those kind of movies. Innocence. Really. Yeah. It's going for all that kind of vibe stuff, but it's a lot more overheated. And once again, (laughs) he's doing an entertaining movie. It's kind of cheesy, but it's fun as hell. And I got to say the ending was fantastic. And I did not think it was going to go where it went. And it did. And I was like, wow, wow. I'm surprised they let them end it that way. It's really good. So this is a really fun movie. This is one of those, if you like weird little towns, creepy mysteries, creepy family histories, something's going on, uh, something sinister. And of course, you've got Donald Pleasance being all the Donald. He's supposed to be like this, this, <laughs> this father, you know, but you know, he's probably like some satanic worshiper. You don't know what's going on, but it's something <laughs> he's Donald right Pleasance, here. right? Yeah. yeah. It's called the eye of the devil. So whatever. This is fantastic. This is right up my alley. So for everyone, a lot of people, this would be like a mm, three, three and a half. If they kind of like that kind of thing, maybe I probably go four and a half. This is not even a banger. This is four and a half. Do you have trivia on this? Cause I just found a really interesting bit. Um, yeah. Well, the one little trivia, I caught it really quick. Cause I didn't have time. I literally finished this before I came in to record, I saw that it started out in Kim Novak. Is that the thing you're talking about? Yeah. Kim yeah, Novak the, it, was going to be the Deborah Carr character, but she had an affair with David Hemmings. <laughs> oh, so it says here, uh, she fell off a horse and wasn't able to complete her scenes. Production was suspended for two weeks. But when Novak attempted to return, she found she could not continue. Probably a little bit of column yeah, A, column B sort of situation. Boat. It says uh, nearly every scene that featured Miss Novak had to be reshot with a replacement. There might wow. be a version of this movie out there somewhere with that's Kim Novak. It, it, yeah. it looks like an Eric Stoltz situation in Back to the Future. This also has a little bit of Curse of the Demon in it, too. A little of the style oh, there. Oh, awesome. Um, one thing that says the movie does that it's really odd. So, first of all, it has that kind of really dated thing, but it's cool in those movies where they kind of do those snap zooms, right? 
There's tons of snap zooms and swooping cameras and stuff. He goes crazy with it. But what this movie does is really strange. I don't know if you've seen old TV series where they'd have a new episode and they'd start the episode with a bunch of shots from the episode you're going to watch. Yeah. And then you'd have the episode. This movie does that. This movie has this really crazy beginning where it has like this snap editing of a bunch of shots of things that are you're going to see a little later on. And I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> it's almost like a preview for the movie in front of the movie you're actually watching. So I don't understand. But this it doesn't work, great. right? But it's a good curio piece. Uh, e, I, yeah, I think it actually kind of works. I think this is a pretty good movie. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Eye of the Devil, 1966, directed yeah. again by J. Lee Thompson. For you, was it a better find than Return from the Ashes? For me, but this is more up my alley, right? So this is my kind of movie. I think they're equally good. But I think it's like, what is your taste kind of lie? This is like right into my wheelhouse. So it's kind of made for me a little more. But I like them both a lot. So. Okay, that, here's another gem that we found. Thank, thanks to Bruce, Eye of the Devil. Happy birthday to me. Is this a gem? Is it? Uh, <laughs> We're back to three star banger territory on this one. <laughs> okay, yeah. Is it so worth our is, time? Yeah. This is 1981. Happy birthday to me. This is on right on the heels of Halloween when all of these movies are coming out. Prom Night and Friday the 13th and all these movies. And with that, there, this is the movie he made right before he got into canon films. So this is right before he's getting in with, you know, uh, Charles Bronson. And he gets <laughs> actress from, what is it? Little House on the Prairie. Yes. Gets Melissa Sue Anderson in the lead role here. And the basic concept of this movie is, uh, this is more fun for the trivia than it is for the actual movie. The main concept of this movie though is there's this group of like snobbish rich kids in a New England town and they call themselves the top 10, you know, and you meet the top 10 at the local the tavern and they're all obnoxious, obnoxious, early eighties, rich teenager types. And they're all that. And she's in the group somehow, even though she's kind of like the nice kid, but she's kind of in the group. They all wear these obnoxious scarves to like identify themselves. And then of course it's a slasher movie. So they're all going to get killed and there's going to be a twist ending. This movie has a pretty great triple twist ending. <laughs> so it's pretty fun once you get to the end to get that little twist. It's not a great movie, but it's a lot of fun. Because of a lot of cheese. There's so much weird cheese in this movie. They had to cut a lot of the, the violence out of this movie to get to get it into the theater. So unfortunately, you don't get quite as much gore. Kind of like Friday the 13th movies. The early, early ones of those did the same thing. They cut out a lot of the, the extreme gore. But there is a fair amount still in here, and it's pretty fun. And the, the poster you usually see is this guy getting a shish kebab through his mouth. And that does actually happen, and it's very ridiculous. So, trivia. I would say it's three three star banger, maybe a little less. This is probably the least of the four we saw. This is the least good, so it, I would say, yeah, under three. Ahead. You're saying so you're not recommending it, or you're kind of recommend. Is it a recommend at least at the? Three? I don't know if it's a three star straight up or a three star banger. I think it's a three star straight up. I don't think it's okay. quite fun enough to be a three star banger, but it's it's a recommend if you like slasher movies. This could be an oddity that you haven't checked out, and there's enough here if you like slasher movies to enjoy. There's a couple really great pieces of trivia though. So Glenn Ford is also in this movie. This is old Glenn Ford. This is Glenn Ford getting towards the end of his career, which Mr. Thompson seems to like to get aging actors in his movies, probably get them at a cheaper value. Glenn Ford is a raging drunk by this time, right? Apparently he punched the assistant director in this movie. (laughs) And there was such a feud between them that they had to basically get a mediation between them. So one of the two didn't leave the set. And then for whatever reason, Mr. Thompson really got into this whole slasher thing during this period. And he was known for, for like just literally spraying blood around the set while they were shooting. Like so much blood that the cameramen were getting angry because there was blood all over the camera <laughs> equipment. 
<laughs> they were angry with him for doing it. So they had to tell him to pipe down with the blood, which of course didn't make it on the screen anyway. So I thought those two little bits were, were pretty great, especially the <laughs> Glenn Ford punching the AD. I was like, oh my God, it's okay. It's all right. I would say if you're going to watch one of the two, watch Eye of the Devil for sure. Okay. It, it says here it's known as one of the best Canadian slasher films of all time. So Yes, it and My Bloody Valentine. <laughs> Those two. Yeah. You know, my initial theory regarding J.L. Thompson is because there's another movie he did called Ice Cold and Alex. One of his, it's a war film, I think in the late 50s. And it's really, if you're from, from England, that's really, it's a really revered film. I think in the Wrong Real podcast, they mentioned it. It's the British version of Wages of Fear. That's how great that movie is. My thesis was maybe the earlier stuff of Jaylee Thompson was so revered that maybe his later stuff, like he admitted at selling out. And so you see these two kind of night and day before night and day output where the early stuff is really awesome. And maybe the latter part isn't so good or, or so hot. I don't even know if that, that theory holds because after watching 10 to midnight and you're saying there has to be some kind of, Eric, do you think there's, there's, uh, there's merit to the, his Charles Bronson era? As far as that, yeah, you don't see that I, as a come I, down. Do you see that as a, that's what I was trying to like, do you see it as a come down for him or just a, or it's just times change and he, he rolled with punches with the business. I mean, I, I just got the, cause I didn't watch the ones that Bruce, Bruce saw. I haven't really watched enough of his like recently to get a feel on his fingerprints, but the ones I've seen, like the Planet of the apes, like they, I don't know. I, it, it seems like, uh, Bruce said earlier, he just wants to make entertaining movies. Yeah. You know, and he does. And, yeah, and so I don't think it's any more than just that. Like here, uh, we got we got the story. I like the story. Let's make it entertaining, and and that's what he does. And you know, different people are going to get different things out of it, but I don't think anyone's going to be bored by him. He's got a pretty big filmography to go through, but of the ones I've seen, I've never looked at a movie that I saw that he did where I was like, oh yeah, that's no. <laughs> yeah. I didn't get through that one. You know, bottom line is he's no Sidney Lumet. He's not even a Maya Darren. You don't see that stamp. But what you get is you get this, we're talking about hodgepodge. You get a hodgepodge of just different movies. And when you have Jay Lee Thompson as a director, you go, okay, I think this might be entertaining. What, no matter what genre, I think Bruce knows better than us right now. You, sh- Bruce, you saw four films from Jay Lee Thompson. You're, are you kind of almost promised a, at least a diverting time with them? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, I think there's something to be said for all those. And they, they have a lot of, a lot of people would love the Planet of the Apes movie he did. A lot of people like the, mm-hmm. even like the, what, Death Wish 4 that he did. They like that one because it's kind of over the top and crazy. Yeah, I, I think that he seems like a director where he would get something to make a movie out of and, he didn't maybe it wasn't a passion project for him but he a lot of times he made the best of it like he made it probably better than it would have been if someone else would have had it and then every so often i think he got one like eye of the devil or like return from the ashes where he feel it feels like he was a little even more invested and it started to become more stylish and more more him i'm guessing well, Eric mentioned about seven, ten to midnight, maybe a few steps away from being a seven. That's actually a compliment because yeah. ten to midnight under a lesser filmmaker could have just been a straight up expo- exploitation film. Who knows? Maybe because it's Jay Lee Thompson's um, directing, maybe there's a little bit of an upscale within that that genre specific title. So that that is our director spotlight and Jay Lee Thompson. We covered a lot of stuff. Before we go, Bruce, you're going to do a what's in the box, and then after we do the oh, what's yeah. in the box, we're going to have a, an Eric uh, promotion for in a couple of weeks of what he's going to pick for his director spotlight. Yes. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Very small one. Oh, God. This is going to be one. I hope I can find this one. It will be two weeks in a row. No, no, no. What is it? It's uh, Brand Upon the Brain by Guy Madden. Guy Madden. Those things are so hard to find, buddy. Uh, Brand Upon the Brain. That's going to be tough. Let's see. 
if if I I will look early this week to see if I can find it. If I can't, I might do a live a live redraw. And if I do, <laughs> then uh, people seem to like it when I did that the last time. So hey, never know. Oh, and oh, I forgot, Eric. We're going to talk about the spotlight. Bruce, I forgot to ask you, do you have a scoreboard? Sorry to remind you oh. at the last minute, a, a, the scoreboard for your, the find your frame, who's leading, and et cetera, et cetera. When does the window close? Maybe we close the window uh, next Wednesday. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it will be decided by then. I, need, I haven't posted one in the last day or so. I need to post one tonight before long. I've done 17 so far. Mitch Burns, Samuel hmm. Borg, Joseph Bridges, I think is still in the lead with I haven't counted them up, but it looks like four or five. Aaron Kessler, I think, is still coming behind with two or three. So uh, I have a lot of individuals. I'll, I'll have to post it in the next couple of days. I'll post the actual standings, and then that way I could add to it as we did the last few. And we do have – I'm not going to say what it is yet. We have a surprise prize for the next month. Right. A surprise prize yes. for the next month. You're not going to mention yep. it. The not surprise prize for this month is the winner of this will go to Find Your Film Podcast – dot com pick whatever you want i'll pick it i'll i'll foot the bill so that is fyi for members of our cinematics facebook group who enter the find your frame a daily game from bruce what what he does is he puts a film frame and then he keeps doing the film frames and uh you know licensing here it's find your frame it's find your frame and then people <laughs> whoever guesses correctly gets that point for the day and bruce will have those numbers up do you know when the day closes when does this first period of this contest close i think bruce? i'm just going to make them the calendar month so basically the last day of the month will be the last one and then I'll just start the next one and whatever those standings are, I'll just post it. All right. We got three more days. This, uh, as we're recording this, we got three more days or oh, is there 31 days for three or four more days left yeah. of this month. Yeah. I don't even know how many days are in July. I'm going to have to check, but I do know I'm going to, while I, you know how I'm going to check, I'm going to check right now. Well, Eric, you're just going to right off the fly, tell our listeners what to expect in two weeks for the director spotlight. All right. Well, first of all, I just, I uh, did a quick look at that guy, Madden. It looks like it might be on YouTube, so we might be in luck there. I, I didn't click on it, so it, it could be bullshit, but okay, so we cool. might be lucky there. But the next director spotlight, we're going to do Bobcat Goldthwait, and cool. I went ahead and picked Sleeping Dogs Lie and Shakes the Clown. Yes. But I don't know if Shakes the Clown is streaming, so. <laughs> um, we'll I think it is, but if not, maybe we'll do uh, uh, Willow Creek instead. But for sure, we're doing Sleeping Dogs Lie. Okay, that cool. Gives me an excuse to watch my Sleeping Dogs Lie. That, that's where I that, <laughs> you, you you picked that. up that DVD. Like, well, we're doing Bobcat then. Okay, where did you pick that up, Bruce? Just recently or something? Or at the library? <laughs> okay, so you're gonna watch that. So yeah, yeah, stay tuned if Eric actually changes that second movie. But Bobcat Goldthwait is your choice in two weeks. Why is Bobcat your choice, Eric? Why? Because Bruce got Sleeping Dogs Lie, and I was thinking, oh, we should do a director spotlight on him because he's his movies. He's awesome. He didn't have a bad one. Okay. Everything I've seen of his has been pretty great. So this will be less discovery for me and more just appreciation. And I don't know how you guys, your background on Bobcat, as far as his directing, you know, goes. Oh, and he directed uh, six episodes of Those Who Can't. The Ben Roy is on. They talked about it a couple of weeks ago. So, oh, interesting. There. interesting. All yeah. the reasons to talk about Bobcat. He did that really awesome, underrated Robin Williams film. What is it, Teacher of the Year or something like that? I really uh, love World's mm-hmm. Greatest Dad. World's yeah, Greatest World's Dad. Greatest yeah, Dad. yeah. World's. That's a, that's an amazing film. I, how? Why is that film not talked about more? I really enjoyed that film. So I don't know. Really it's good. A really, really good film. Okay, that is it. Final thoughts from Eric Holmes. You got any thoughts? Any any other things other than Bobcat on on the brain? What else you got? Uh, actually, I'm just 
getting real excited to watch a bunch of Bobcat Goldthwait movies. <laughs> okay. As per usual, we end our Find Your Film episode 126 with some thoughts from Bruce Perky. I just want to – I want the listeners out there to – if you have a chance to look at our video of this, if it's posted somewhere, just just look at Greg's stash and how it's coming in. It's <laughs> – it's gonna be glorious. Is it okay? Is 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 this? Yes. It'll it's take six be months. Beautiful. Thank pretty you. Pretty soon, pretty soon, you are going to be wrestling a naked serial killer as he runs down the street. <laughs> I'm gonna be that guy, Mister Bronson. You know, but I, I think I'm ten to midnight, but most women say uh, quarter past one. All right, guys, we will see you next <laughs> week here on Find Your Film. Thank you so much. We love you. Bye.